Well, hello. Welcome back to Between the Lines Recovery. I'm Jay Lind, and I'll be your host. After a brief uh, summer sabbatical, we are back. And this is episode 34 of the podcast. Do any of you out there know which legendary Chicago Bear wore that number? You better. Was it Mike Ditka? Nah. Was it Dick Butkus? Nah. I just wanted to say those two names. It was sweetness himself, Walter Payton. Come on now. But how about Dick Butkus for the Football Name Hall of Fame? Today, I will be interviewing Frank on the podcast. He is an alcoholic with over 30 years in and out of recovery. And man, does he have a story uh, or several stories. You shall see very soon. But before we get into all that, just a quick reminder for all of you to take a minute when you're done listening today to please rate, review, and follow Between the Lines Recovery on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Even better, you can click the Support the Podcast link in the episode notes if you'd like to go the extra mile and donate a few bucks a month to the cause. Every dollar you give helps me continue producing and publishing quality content like today's interview with Frank. Which reminds me, thanks to Chris from Mankato, Minnesota, for sending us, and by us I mean me, a real deal top-of-the-line mic and some dope headphones that I also wear around my neck at all times so the kids will think I'm cool. Mille, mille grazie, Chris, from Mankato, Minnesota. I'm sure y'all can hear the difference already. Well, that should take care of all the necessary housekeeping. Time to get to it. This is the good news. The good news is brought to you by OnStage. OnStage is a theater outreach and audience development program, collaborating with several colleges in and around the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. OnStage uses teaching artists to facilitate in-class discussions about the relevant social, political, and cultural issues that bubble up in plays currently running in local theaters. What an incredibly worthwhile mission it is to broaden the range, reach, and impact of some truly incredible and thought-provoking works of art. To learn more about OnStage or to make a donation to the cause, check them out at onstagemn.org. That's onstagemn.org. The good news this week comes via the New York Public Library. Brooklyn, Queens, and the New York Public Libraries are thrilled that proposed budget cuts have been fully reversed in the city's fiscal year 2024 budget. Amid unprecedented attempts to ban books and silence diverse voices, New York City has sent a clear message about the power of public libraries that will be seen and felt across our nation. Power power to the people, y'all. That's the good news for this week. So my guest today is Frank. I know it sounds like um, I asked Frank before the show, uh, hey, uh, you want to change your name? Uh, Just keep it anonymous. He's like, yeah, Frank. But it is indeed his name. (laughs) No shame in Frank's game. Anyway, I'll tell you all about uh, Frank um, that I know, which is that my my main man, Mo, who you guys all know from the show, texted me Frank's number and said, uh, hey, you should get this guy on the podcast. Uh, his name is Frank, and he's awesome. And that's all I needed to hear. So let's let Frank prove to us how awesome he is. Welcome to the podcast, Frank. How are you feeling today? 
I'm feeling great, Jay. Thanks for inviting me. Um, such an honor to be able to do something like this. And for Mo, good shout out back to Mo. Thank you, Mo, for uh, some good uh, some good ink. That's some right. PR ink, and I appreciate it. And yeah, I just I'm feeling great today, and I'm really excited to be able to do something like this. You know. Cool. And, and um, thanks for inviting me. Hey, no problem. It's my pleasure. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'll give a thanks to Mo, too, right ahead of time, because I already know this is going to be a good interview. We, we chatted earlier. So uh, Mo's adding to the show again. I had him on as a guest, Frank. And then uh, we have a special segment where he comes on just to uh, talk about his recovery for a couple of minutes on whatever topic he chooses. It's called Gimme Mo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, now you can bust his balls about that uh, in your meeting. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Frank, before we get started, what would you, what's your, what do you label yourself as far as your status and addiction recovery time and uh, are you alcoholic addict, whatever, all those, you know, the titles and time we give ourselves. Well, first things first, I was never an addict. I'm not an NA. I'm not an N. Uh, <laughs> yeah. NA. Right. Yeah. And uh, I know I, I smoked marijuana a little bit. We all did. It was the 80s. I'm 55. So, yeah. you know, we all experimented with it. It put me to sleep, made me crawl to the refrigerator and get ice cream. And that me too. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Jay. So that wasn't my thing, even though I tried it. You know, we've all been around those those groups past the, past the doobie on the left-hand side. So, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I think... Uh, it took me a long time to figure out I'm an alcoholic. I'll say I got 31 years, 30 years since I was 25. I was introduced to AA um, through a judge, through a DUI, yeah. uh, which was a great thing. I didn't know it was a great thing back then. Uh, you know, I thought it was a uh, something that was getting in the way of my life later in life. Of course, now I understand it was a it was a great thing that happened. But um, I think I'm an alcoholic. My mother's father, he was Irish. My mother was the 14th child. She was born in New Jersey. Um, I'd like to say my father's side of the family um, is not alcoholic. My father and brother and grandmother and grandfather had nothing to do with alcoholism. My mom's passed. My grandma's passed. Grandfather's passed. But my father's still living. He'll have his two beers, uh, two and a half tops, go home and do office, you know, paperwork in his office in his house. So, I, I got to watch him, and but my mother's side, she got sober, and she was a regional representative for AA in her area district in New Jersey. And then later in life, Jay, I couldn't accept the fact that maybe I was alcoholic, even though I was faking it to make it, going to meetings, in and out, in and out. And then I finally, you know, later on, I said, wait a second, I'm named after my mother's father. He's Irish. My mother's Irish. Um, you know, he died at 11, when my mother was 11. Nobody told me why. And then some, this little voice just kept telling me, maybe he died of alcoholism, mm -hmm. you know, maybe he wasn't alcoholic, you know? And I was like, well, maybe I got the gene through him, but I never got to meet him and I never got to talk to the family about it. So me, that is my claim to fame to say, you know, that's my link genetically yeah. into being an alcoholic, you know? So, I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, I, I almost always ask my guests, like, you know, is there family history with the alcoholism or addiction in your family? Um, you know, cause some people out there that still don't really, you know, believe that there's like some genetic link to it, or um, maybe that the family history, it's more just like, you know, if you come from a family that has um, alcoholics in it, you know, you're more likely because it's your environment or whatever the reason is, it's just clear that it's in families, you know, it, it travels through families. 
like the, I mean, it, you couldn't, I couldn't have any more clear evidence than, than, uh, you know, talking to thousands of addicts and alcoholics over the years. Um, when I ask that question, the answer is always, uh, not just like, oh yeah, my uncle's an alcoholic, but you know, that you, you know, you got, uh, you know, on both sides of the tree sometimes and, and, uh, you know, traveling exactly. up and down it. So whatever the reason is, it travels through families. We know that. And that's why I talk to my kids about it a lot. That's important. Uh, oh God, yeah. Um, so anyway, thanks for, for, for sharing that part. So when think about, think about when, um, so when did, what, what was your first like entry into drinking um, when you were, I'm guessing as most of these stories begin younger than most people, right? Yeah. I mean, I love the question. Thank you so much for that question. I hope I was hoping that question would come up mm -hmm. and I, I stayed in many AA meetings or I used to, but uh, the first beer that I ever had, well, the first drink I had was at a place called Kabuto's where they cooked the food in front of you, a Japanese restaurant. My mother was drinking wine and she wasn't really a full blown alcoholic yet. Her disease hadn't progressed to the levels it would later when I was in high school. And I didn't know anything about it, but I had a glass. I tasted wine and it was the worst thing I ever tasted. I actually almost wanted to spit it back out, made a crazy face. My mom and dad and them laughed at me. But back in those days, the drinking age was 18. That would have been about 1981, 82, somewhere in there. So I didn't know what it was. So that was my first taste of alcoholic beverage and knew that I didn't like it at all. My first beer, however, <laughs> was 14 years old when I, my brother was having a high school party and they were 18 or they were seven to 18. And back then uh, parents didn't care. We didn't have all this, right. um, you know, legal problems and people killing people. And, and we didn't have mothers against drunk driving at the moment. So, you know, parents would let their kids have uh, cake parties. And so I'll never forget it. A friend of my brother's, um, he was on the football team. I was a freshman in high school. They were juniors and seniors. And he said, here, he gave me a can of Budweiser. With the old tab, you got to rip off. And, said, yeah. and he stood there, and there's about three or four of them. And I wanted to impress him, and he gave me the beer. And I was like, wow, this is my intro to being with my brother's friends. And we played football together and everything. So I was like, yeah, I'm ready for this. And I drank the beer, but he said, drink it, drink it, drink it, drink it, drink it, drink it, drink it. And I drank the whole thing. Yeah. And later, it didn't, and Jay, later, it didn't have much effect. But as I realized, it didn't have much effect. So anyway, we went to a party. About a week later, and a buddy bought me a six-pack of beer, and we were in a car listening to Michael Jackson, of all things. Oh, yeah. Beat it, the, the, uh, I forget which album is his real famous album. And uh, so anyway, I drank a six-pack. The police came to the party, and I had white jeans. I'll never forget as long as I live. Levi's, my favorite jeans. I ran. We all ran for the party. I maybe had two three beers, maybe, out of that six-pack. And... um. I tripped in the river, not the river, the creek, hit hit the stone, and I was a football player and athlete, and I couldn't believe I did that. I was like, what the heck just happened? I didn't know anything about alcohol. So to answer your question, the next week I had a friend. I knew he could buy beer. I liked the effect. I asked him to buy me a six-pack, and it was a wrap. I'll never forget the feeling mm -hmm. I got. I drank mm -hmm. the six-pack in the back of the apartment with another friend, I drank them. Next thing I know, I was on a mini bike. My buddy was on his mini bike, and I was oh. going to my girlfriend's house. I loved the feeling. I was riding down the street. I felt free. I, I could do anything. The police were never going to catch me and everything. I'll never forget the feeling. I can, yeah, I can feel it now. And that was it for me. I was sold, bought, 
the 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 hook was in my mouth and I was like, I love this Budweiser stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I was 14. <laughs> well, you just, that's a great commercial for Budweiser right there. Uh, uh, yeah, and as you know from from all the meetings you've been to, that's not, that's a that's a common story. That maybe yeah. for some people it's the first, the very first time they even have you know one beer or one drink or whatever. Yeah. But usually they're in that they notice kind of right away that it is like the answer to all their oh. fucking problems, right? Uh, oh, but really, it. it's get creative. So that gets me to my next question. Uh, so okay. since that day was off to the races, you're feeling great. No, please never catch me. Oh, yeah. Have you had any consequences for for your drinking? Do you mean throughout my life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, obviously oh, not all of them. But what are, what are you know what are the the notable consequences that alcoholism like uh, has has uh, brought into your life? Oh my God, too many DUIs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was 16. I had my license. We went, used to play quarters back in the day. You bounced a quarter in a glass. So, I love quarters. I was a, I was a master oh, of quarters. Oh, man, I was the best, but my <laughs> ex-girlfriend was even better. And the story the story is, we my mother had a Cutlass Supreme, her joy and pride. She worked her butt off to get Jay. Oh. And I left. It was afternoon. We were going to drop my buddy to go drop off his mother's car. She worked at a hotel. And we were playing quarters, so Michelle, my ex-girlfriend, she decided to buy some slit malt liquor and come to the party. And she she was still flirting with me, and we had broken up, but she still liked me a lot. So she kept – every time she made it, she probably made it 20 times in a row, she made me drink. So to <laughs> prove to her I could – I was going to be this her her ex-boyfriend or whatever, I'd show her. I just kept drinking all the slit malt liquor in the glass with the quarter in it. Well, we got in the car, and I – I, I did 77 and I think 70, 70 miles an hour around to 25 mile per hour um, and lost control of the car. And my buddy was in the car. I was 16, went through like five, six, no parking signs, two stop signs, missed a big brick. It was, I forget, uh, Bank of America or somebody. Uh, it was in a corporate center area where we were cutting through. Missed the brick thing, which when we hit that, we'd be dead. And back in the day, I didn't have my seatbelt on. He not. said he was trying to. What's that? Of course not. Yeah, no one. We didn't wear seatbelts back then. No. No. Yeah. You know, this is back eighty. This been eighty three or something, eighty four. So yeah. So I should have killed myself then. And then of course, uh, the guy. I never forget it, Jay. It was great back then. They throw a nickel on the ground, and he was looking at me. He goes, "Oh, I smell God on your breath." Threw a nickel on the ground. My grandmother couldn't couldn't pick the nickel up right, so he arrested me. It didn't put me in jail. I was sixteen. My grandparents came and picked me up. I was crying. I had no idea from that point. The rest of my life, I mean, if I had to go through the consequences, um, <laughs> it got to the point to where I would walk in courtrooms because of alcohol related force. And I've never been I've never had a drug charge. Right. I've never had a drug charge. I'm not I'm really not a druggie. So I've never had any drug charges. I've never had any violent assault charges or any assault right. charges. I didn't get really angry when I was drinking. Right. And I didn't drink liquor until the last two years of my life. I was mostly a beer drinker. So right. even though it was alcohol. But um so I didn't, I didn't, uh, but you know, many, many court visits. I, didn't, I don't even want to go through them all. It would take too long to take it. But yeah, I got in no. the day, I, I got so good at going to court that I had people come out and ask me if I'd represent their child because <laughs> I was representing my child. They thought I was a lawyer. This is what alcohol did to me. <laughs> yeah, you get, hey, you, you do what you know, right? We spend enough time there. Uh, exactly. Right. Yeah. So I appreciate your honesty, frankly. That you know, that's that's a lot of stuff, and I think of people, you know. 
you knew, I think the, the, the contrast there where you just, what you just talked about, you're talking about how, how good it felt, you know, it's the answer. And then how horrible it is. Uh, you know, the, the, the consequence was what, you know, going to the, you know, 16, getting the, you know, getting, uh, thrown in, the, in jail for the, you know, drinking and driving yep. or whatever. And, uh, but then doing it again and then doing it again and then doing it again. So that's the power mm -hmm. of alcoholism. You get these horrible consequences and for regular people, that's where you stop, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe two, maybe twice, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. But over and over, that shows the power of the uh, alcoholism or addiction is that despite repeated negative consequences, we continue the same behavior over and over and over. And that is mind blowing to other people who aren't alcoholics and addicts. What are you doing? Well, you know, we're not dumb, we're sick, right? Jay, you're exactly right. And I think as I've gotten more into the program, I've got 30 years since I was 25 in the program. I watched my mom get sober through the program. She had a plaque on top of the refrigerator. I always loved bragging on her because mm -hmm. at 44, she, she said she went in, she was Catholic. She went in the church, put holy water in her mouth and couldn't take it anymore. And uh, we'd see the car in the front lawn and we were upper middle class, you know, later in life. We were, we were poor and we grew up around the city in Richmond, Virginia. And then we got to kind of lower middle class. Then my dad did well. Then he went back to New Jersey. We went to upper middle class. And we would see the car, the Delta, Delta, uh, Oldsmobile Delta uh, 88 with the tires blown out right in the front of our lawn. The, you know, my dad's out there moving it at seven. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've i met a lot of normies, as mm -hmm. we say in alcohol and AA. And you know what? I... Being a football player, being I have a very extroverted personality, you know, in the 80s, you would if somebody offended you, there was no such things as mobile phones. You know, we yeah. lifted weight. <laughs> we did all this and you go out and fight. So it was nothing for me. Alcohol for me was something that I was going to learn how to drink like gentlemen. You know, I was always jealous of the old. I'd watch the 40, the movies in the 20s, 30s and 40s. And, oh, all right. There, old chap, you know, how, how you know, like. You know, let's have a drink and talk about this in the, in an office building, you know, yeah. like their office back in the movies. And I was like, well, that's how you really drink. And it says in the big book, you know, if anybody thinks they're not alcoholic, why don't you go to your nearest bar and why don't you try some controlled drinking? Well, I tried that all my whole life. And, <laughs> yeah. Over and, and over and, and over. Exactly. So the propaganda and the commercialism of alcohol um you know, had me from the get go that if I could just figure this thing out, if I can just figure it out, you know, I just need that little missing piece to the puzzle. And I can drink like them. I could be a normie. Like you said, I won't get in trouble. I won't go to jail. I won't get a DUI. I won't I won't have problems with people. I won't I won't blurt off stuff. You know, I won't <laughs> feel sick in the morning. I won't have a hangover. I'll I'll be able to drink. Uh, I never drank really liquor. I, I'll be able to have a glass of liquor and feel sophisticated and have <laughs> yeah. And yeah. a day at work. And and I can be like the rest of them. But with little did I know, if I look back, they were always looking at me going, this guy's crazy. He shouldn't be drinking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You can't you can't uh, we can't do like take some steps to become something we're not like we can't become regular yeah uh users or drinkers or whatever your your thing is uh we want to because you know like anyone like anyone any human yeah. being we want to be like everybody else you know we want to be normal right everyone wants to be normal and it feels like something we should be able to control because other people do it uh 
But but who wants to admit they're different than their fellows? Isn't yeah, that's who exactly exactly. But the truth is, all the fellows are different. <laughs> <laughs> I love the old language in the big book too. Uh, oh, I love it, yeah. um, all right. Well, so I, I want to get let's get into like uh, you know when okay. life is good for you, Frank. So what what yeah. what works for you? What are your daily practices? What's your recovery look like? Um, how are you handling it these days? I. I've been in and out revolving door in AA since I was 25. I didn't always go. I lived in, I would like to throw out the fact that I did live in England and Spain. My ex-wife's English children were born there. So I was going to AA as well in London and Manchester, England. And I went a couple of times in Spain. I've been to meetings in different areas in the country, Florida, uh, Virginia, California, uh, you know, of course, Colorado, uh, where else? Uh, That's about all. I think the States here, but uh, I was I played pro golf in my 20s. I like to throw it there on the Nike tour. I was a professional touring Monday qualifier player and sponsored. I was a satellite professional satellite tennis player. Cool. Uh, before that, I had these big dreams. I was I was an excellent athlete. I turned my intelligence to that. I was a captain of my high school football team. I like to throw that out there. You know, <laughs> so uh, you know I was. I'm writing, all, I was, this, I'm writing uh, all this down, Frank. I got your yeah. I got I got your resume. I got it right in there. <laughs> well, the thing but, is, I like if anybody's listening, I like people to know, you know, the things that confuse me. Um, what is my MO right now? Um, right. How did I get to this MO? How did I accept this program called Alcoholics Anonymous? How did I how did I get sober? How am I staying sober? I love the question. Thank you so much, Jay, because. I don't I, I, I have to be honest, it has been the hardest work and the most confusing work of my lifetime i went out and put shot a 65 in competition in golf and that that i that is the easiest thing in the world but to take on something that we call sobriety and to do it especially when you have the genetic or the gene or the or the inclination to drink one or two drinks and you're just getting started when everybody's going home like you said the normies and then you're getting a shot of tequila and then the sixth drink you're like wow we're just getting going you know to stop drinking is easy to stay stopped is is the hard part so what is my mo i've done the 12 steps over all the years i get deeper into the 12 steps i'm sponsoring somebody right now a young man he's 39 he's doing really well we were just talking last night i speak fluent spanish so i go to the spanish meeting with the latin spanish speaking with the latinos um i stay sober i i'm on my knees in the morning i do step 11 you know and or i do step 12 with my sponsorship I'm on my knees in the morning and I'm on my knees at night. You know, I can't get in the bed, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, because I have that fear, I have the fear of prison. I have the fear of, will I ever go back? And I hear the people that come into the program, you know, that have relapsed after seven, 10, 15, 18, 24 years. Yeah. And you know what? So I do have that fear. And my MO to answer the question really in a roundabout way is with all the intelligence I had, have had and have and tried to use, this is something I, I, I reach out to my higher power. You know, I call him God. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody else, their higher power is their higher power, whether it's a doorknob or whatever, as we say. But mine's God, and I pray, and I ask for guidance. And, I, I you know, the, I've done the fourth step. I've done the fifth step. I've done all the steps, and I just adhere to that. I go to a lot of meetings right now. Um, I'm always open for somebody calling me and saying, hey, can we talk real quick if I have somebody in the meeting? Um, you know, and I, and I walk around. 
and I stay sober and I let everybody know that I don't drink anymore. Yeah, that's they're huge. Happy. Yeah, they, yeah, they have told us accountable it. too. They have told us accountable. Yeah. The more people who know, the harder yeah. it is for us to to get away with it if we decide we're start start thinking about it. Exactly, and I mean, in the past when I played pro golf, I didn't drink for three years. When I played pro tennis, I didn't drink for three years. I met a guy. And we all know about John Daly. The mm-hmm. yeah, 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 he did, he did pretty good as an alcoholic uh, winning major. I tell you, he had uh, he said his caddy had the Jack Daniels bottle filling up his Coca Cola cup on the 18th as he's going down to win the PGA Championship. <laughs> yeah, I met a guy named Greg. I'm not going to say his last name. Good. Spiritual <laughs> foundation as as uh, founder Bill, our 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 leader, one of our leaders, Doctor right. Bob and Bill Bill Wilson. He said. That's our foundation. So I'll, I'll say his name's Greg. I was on the Nike tour. I missed the Monday qualifier. I was walking down the fairway. We were doing a uh, doing a practice round, and I would caddy for the better players. And, and anyway, so little did I know this was coming my way, but I had been introduced to AA at 25. So I kind of knew what was going on, and right. I was about 27 years old. He was an alcoholic. They had AA on the Nike tour at the time. And he started talking to me and he had won a tournament recently. So that was pretty big. And I was a caddy. He knew I was a Monday qualifier, but I stuck around the better players and they knew I had talent. And you know what? i tell you what, Jay, he was dropping the message on me. And Mm -hmm. I go back to that day and I think to myself and I'm like, wow, you know, um, you know, these guys adhere to it. He never, this fellow never really made the the PGA, but he should have, I think, no, he did. He did get on the PGA and won a tournament, but, um, but you know what? To go on, what am I doing today? I, I might have got off the subject there, but you know, <laughs> I just sit here. Oh, I know what I want to do. My antennas. Uh, I'm outside a grocery store right now. Uh, we're doing this via Zoom, and I tell you what, I am always walking around. I always, Jay, I always wanted to be the guy, Jay, that that was that older fella in AA with that that cologne and well dressed, <laughs> and he's got the nice car and he's got the nice house and. He's keeping his side of the street clean, so to say, as we say in AA. And he's got responsibility. He's paying his bills. His family's happy. His family's happy with him. His children's happy with him. And I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to do that, but I want what he has. Mm -hmm. But I'll do it as long as I can drink a little bit. I think I can get that. So what am I doing today? I'm completely abstinent, and I go to enough meetings. I love it. I love love being sober. I love everything about it. I walk around sober, and I just whistle. <laughs> that's great there's a lot of good a lot of good messages in there you know and uh yeah. like like um like i do frank as you just said i might have got off subject there for a second but you know that's yeah, not so. off subject what happens is you know because I, I do the same thing those are the those are the subject that's it i asked the question and you went there which means that is the subject like it's something you wanted to talk yeah. about in there and there's a lesson there and, and the one that i got when you went to the the, the golf story about the guy you're caddying for um, is an important lesson about people in AA or people in recovery who um, sometimes people who um, are addicts and alcoholics who who want to get into or you know who, who are looking to get get clean get into recovery they're scared that they're they're going to be like you know we're going to be pushing it down their throat or like you know be Thank terrible you. the thing is what that guy did to you is he was dropping the messages on you he knew you had a little issue he's giving you messages without being a dick. You know, like we, we know that we know that doesn't work. That would have made you run the other way, you know? So we got to get it subliminally. We're good at that. 
You know, so that's yeah. thing. people are so worried. Like, all oh, these guys are going to yell at me. What if I what if I relapse? Like, guess what? They did, too. You're going to you're going to tell yeah. them and they're going to be like, thanks for telling me. Let's get back to step yeah. one. You know. Exactly. I mean, the, the sober people around. And for me, I didn't know that God wanted me sober young. I didn't know that God had pointed out and said to whoever angels, this is the way I look at it. He said, you know, Frank is going to need this in his life if not he won't live the life that we have the plan for him and you know i you know they say in this law of attraction thing you know like attracts like you know so i bounce off i'm in the grocery store i'll meet somebody and and when i was going in and out doing the giving the white chip back after 30 days 60 days 90 days a year two years Give it back, give it back, give it back, go back out, you know, you know, and, you know, they say we're not ready completely. And maybe you don't, you know, we don't have to hit complete rock bottom. We have to right. suffer enough. But, you know, the, you know, they say staying until the miracle happens. So, you know, I, I kept meeting people. I would be out in public and, OK, I'm drinking again. Oh, I love AA. I, I think it's great when I'm in. And, and then I meet somebody and they would out of the blue and they say, and I'd say, Oh, you know, you friends of Bill Wilson. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, cause I knew, but I'd be back out there drinking and I'd be talking to God, waking up going, Jay, I'd be like, Oh, I can't do this anymore. God, I just got to make it back to AA. And I talk mm-hmm. to my sponsors and I say, I say, look, you know, once you get that first drink in, you know, the obsession starts in the mental obsession and the physical allergy. And what happens is it's like a dark energy just just hugs you and pulls you and holds you, the monkey on your back. And I went through that for years and years and years and years. But there's just like we're talking now, you know, you know, I did a little prayer before this and asked God to lead my words. And and when we're in meetings, we get, you know, God's consciousness in there. And, um, you know, to be sober, I mean, it's the hardest work in the world, I'd say. But like you said, to be a white chip person, to get through that front door, um, there was a guy I talked to and he, you know, God, you, you need that help on the outside. And we're, our pride tells us and the disease tells us. I was in England, in Manchester. I was going to meetings and I took on a sponsor. My dad was coming to visit. And this is a true story. And we were going to the Formula One race. And and I was going to have to have a beer with my father, even though I was sober, because, you know, this is, you know, this is, a, I'm in England. We're going to go to the pub. I can't sit with my father and tell my father. And he didn't know anything about my AA attendance. And I was sober. So I called my sponsor and, and I said, I forget his name, maybe Larry. I said, Larry's older fellow, great guy. Uh, and I said, listen, you know, um, I feel I have to drink with my father. I've got 90 days, 100 days. He goes, and I said, I have to. I just I just cannot have a beer with my father. What if he dies or something like that? And I, I can't say I had a beer a beer with my father. That's American culture. And he's English, of course. We're in Manchester, England. And he says, Frank. And he called me Frank back now. I use my name, Frankie. He says, Frankie, he was my sponsor. He says, Frankie, that is your disease convincing you of something that's not true. <laughs> Absolutely right. I was thinking the same thing. That's a rationalization that oh yeah, we'll fucking we'll come up with anything. Well, I got hey. You know, uh, which reminds me, actually, uh, in, a, in a similar way, when I was um, out out in the in the bad world there uh, as an addict, uh, yeah. uh, but even before that, when I was just like out partying too much or going to you know bars too much or whatever, my uh-huh. my uh, now ex wife used to I, I would always say like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to watch the game, and she would say, there's always a yeah. game, 
<laughs> uh, and uh, I didn't get it, or I didn't catch the tone maybe until much later in my life that it's, uh, yeah, all right, yeah, buddy, I know. You got to go watch the game because uh, uh, there's a game every night almost. Uh, well, I think what you're saying, a lot of what you said today, um, Frank, is really great. And, and that's, I think that what a lot of what your stories are getting at too, and here in this, in the part during your recovery, is that, uh, you know, I joked about you, you know, giving us your resume, but that, uh, which is the thing I try to tell everybody that this disease affects all kinds of people. And it doesn't mean um, you are lazy. Look, you be a professional no. athlete. You can't be lazy. Exactly. Right? You can't, you can't, no, it's no, impossible no. to reach that level uh, by with, as a lazy person who doesn't have a work ethic. Right. You're not willing to work at it or someone who's dumb, you know, like it affects every single kind of person, who, yep. every personality with every yep. level of intelligence or work ethic. So, yes, yeah, some alcoholics and addicts were lazy people before they got, you know, got bad. But it doesn't mean that that we are. Or that we don't get it, or that oh, what you don't love your family? Why are you doing that? Don't you love right. your family? We That's love right. people just as much. We were, you know, and yeah. I know it's hard to understand that because it looked to again to a normie, it looks like something that mm -hmm. to them, if you know they're smart, they have good work. It's like, God, if I got two DUIs, I certainly would not drink anymore. Uh, but but it's you know he's got a. He he doesn't have the disease, you know, so it's it's too hard to to uh, to compare. Anyway, I want to I always try to end the show, uh, Frank, with uh -huh. with uh, with gratitude because you know, like I do, like I like to end cool. every day. So uh, tell us something that you are especially grateful for today. Man, uh, there's a hundred things I could say. Uh, That's great. Sometimes we had to. I'm... Other times in our life where we where we've had to. Oh shoot! I gotta make a gratitude list, and we gotta we gotta think for <laughs> six hours to come up with one. So the fact you got a hundred means things are going pretty good. Yeah, you know what I'm so grateful for, Jay, is, and I express this a lot. I mean, I have tried. I'm a classic A, A class personality perfectionist. Go for it, go for it, go for it. My whole life. You know, later in life, I'm studying finance. I'm a reader. I love to study things and do things. I play it. I'm doing so many things in my life. And what am I? What am I grateful for? I'm, I will say it like this: It promised us in the promises, but there's an expression in the book, and I don't want to keep referring back to the book. But what am I grateful for? We will know a freedom we have never known before. That's right. And you know what? And my name is Frank. And what does Frank stand for? Free man. And what was in that? What was in that bottle of beer, Jay? In that Budweiser? I used to be in bars. I had a girlfriend, and this is the gratitude answering the question. I'd be in the bars, Jay, and I, she'd walk in. This was when I was in my late thirties, middle thirties, and I knew, I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing this stuff. I saw everybody else doing it, but I knew, and I'd be going back and forth there, and I knew, and I was like, well, it's hot outside. I worked hard. Let me have a cold beer that's what everybody does that's what men do bull crap so um and i'll be looking in the bottle after two beers and this is a true story and she came over one day her name's nicole and she goes frankie what are you doing why do you look in bottles you know last like five times i've come in here you're looking inside a beer bottle talking to yourself by yourself and you know what i was doing i'm like i know it's in here i just can't find it <laughs> it was the alcohol and being an alcoholic being so confused 
And people don't go through this stuff when they're 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 I was fighting my disease. I wasn't surrendering to the right. body. <laughs> so I was still in the fight, you know, I was fighting Mike Tyson and getting my butt whooped, so to say, in a, in, a, in an analogy or, or but what am I grateful for? The freedom. And you know what? I thought the freedom was two or three beers. I feel good. I got the sensation. This is how you live life. I didn't know all the darkness and the destruction was coming. I don't have that today. I love life. I feel good. I was just mountain biking yesterday. I was in Aspen. I was mountain biking. It was so beautiful. It was 4th of July. I went to the parade. I mean, the trees were there. It was so beautiful. I stopped. I looked up at the sky and I said, thank you so much, you know, to the founding fathers uh, of AA, to, to sobriety, to God. to, And it was like, I'm 55 and I felt like I was 35. That's what I'm thankful for. I'm free today. And I don't want to go back to the alcoholic destruction. I really and don't. That is right. That's dead on, man. What a perfect, what a perfect message to end it on. If I hope everybody listens to, to that one, uh, especially if you're out there struggling uh, or you don't think you can stay, you can, you know, maybe you're, you're, you're sober, you're in recovery now, but uh, you're, you don't think you're going to last, or maybe you're thinking about getting into recovery. Um, and, but you don't think you be, it, it'll make you feel better or that it's worth it. Well, you, I hope you just heard what, what, what Frank said, because it's worth it, man. And you will be free. So, uh, well, I think that should just about do it, Frank. I guess you, it, it, it's official. You proved Mo right. You are awesome. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show today. Thanks for the invitation. Um, it's been an honor and this isn't flattery. Um, thank you so much. I mean, I, I, I've thought about it when you gave me the invitation and I've been excited up until the moment we've had this conversation and you know what, it's, it is an honor. And I'll, I, I thank you so much. I don't know what else to say. Just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. you. I appreciate you just as much, Frank. Thank you very much. Wow. What a great, uh, interview that was with Frank. I sure, uh, learned a lot from him. Um, man, can he, he tell a story? I, I feel like we could have talked to Frank for, for a long, long, long time. I know I say this every once in a while, but this time I, I definitely mean it. We're going to have Frank back. Frank's got, uh, got more stories to tell and more lessons to teach, um, to people who are looking for recovery or uh, who want to learn about uh, what recovery is like and addiction and alcoholism are like. Anyway, there's a lot of there to learn. And Frank's just one of those guys who knows how to tell a good story. And uh, you can tell that uh, he, you know, appreciates the, the, the chance to, to share his story to help others. Uh, I can't tell you how grateful he was after we were done to to have um, had a chance to, to be of service to, to you guys. So anyway, thanks again to, to Frank uh, and to Mo for um, introducing Frank to, uh, to the show. Um, it was pretty darn awesome. Uh, if you too learned something from Frank or if you just appreciated hearing his story, um, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Amazon Music iHeartRadio, etc., etc. And again, please click the support the podcast link in the episode notes if you have a few extra bucks in the budget and you're feeling generous today. Also, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast or about my book, remember I wrote a book, Between the Lines, a memoir about addiction, empathy, and evolution. 
maybe you'd like to share some uh, some thoughts on that, um, or if you have questions about the book or the podcast, um, or if you'd like to be a future guest on the show, please feel free to drop me an email at between the lines memoir at gmail.com. Or you could just spread the word. That would be very helpful. Tell a friend if you have one, someone in recovery who, or who you think might, uh, you know, enjoy the show or look at someone who could learn something from the show. Or maybe you can share this episode on social media. That's even better these days. Or you could choose a few people on your list of contacts in your phone who might appreciate the episode and just share it with them right now. Boom. Just share it. Uh, we're in the top 5% shared podcasts in uh, in the world, globally. That's what they told me. That means in the world. Remember, the biggest, uh, the bigger the audience that we have, the bigger the impact we have. And that uh, is what we're looking for to make a difference. Either way, thanks to all of you for listening today. And in the wise, wise words of my Uncle Dave, keep it simple, be humble, and hope for the best. See ya.